labeled or you could be known or you could be understood by those around you as an intrepid Christ follower. And we would talk about that. What it is to be an intrepid Christ follower. That word intrepid meaning uh, someone who is not only bold, but they're, they're daring. They're a person who has a resolve. They're a person with spiritual fortitude. And I like that word because it really demonstrates uh, really what God has called us to be in our faith, not just uh, a Sunday Christian to show up at church on Sunday, then the rest of the week is kind of a different scenario. But each and every day that we get up and, and we would have this conversation so often as we gather together as a, a discipleship group and I would begin to mentor them and I would remind them often of how important it is to be this intrepid individual as we are called into the kingdom to really the highest calling in the universe to make an impact on our world. The ministry methodology was important, but in that methodology, it was really basic and simple. It's like we're going to mentor and train and teach, and our goal in the church is to teach how to minister to the Lord, which is first and foremost in our faith, is knowing that God has a need. He created us because of a need that he wants to be worshipped, and he wanted relationship with his creation, people that would not just talk to him at a distance or whatever, but there would be an intimacy, a true gathering of saints where we would come into the presence of the Lord with, without reservation, but there would be this boldness and this intrepid approach to come into the presence of the Lord and to engage with him, and this is the need that God had, is to have that genuine fellowship with his people, and he still desires that today. But there's so many things that hold us back from that. And our ministry to the Lord being first and foremost is really the key to everything else. And we would talk about the ministry methodology of, of a ministry to the church, the body of Christ, and being plugged into a local church and, and encouraging one another, but also a ministry to the world as well, where it also demanded to be an intrepid believer that we would boldly go into our community and proclaim the name of Christ unashamedly, knowing that we have this message of hope that can transform lives. But it was the first one that seemed so difficult, this intrepid faith to approach the throne of God. It, it seemed like the most difficult one to impart. And I was thinking about this this past week, and I remember many of the, the, the young disciples in the group, and we would gather first thing in the morning, and this is how we would begin our day. It was teaching them this to be an intrepid Christ follower and to approach the throne of God with this bold confidence, knowing that God would embrace us and we would have these encounters in his presence. And then it would set the course of our day to be able to be intrepid Christ followers to the church and even to the world. And I heard everything you could possibly imagine in those things where it was so hard for them, it just seemed so difficult for many of them. It's like, you know, you don't understand that when I first started coming to church, I made the statement that so many people made. It's like, if I walked through those doors, the roof would probably cave in. Some of you probably have thought that in your own life. If you only knew what I've done and where I've been and what I've experienced, and for me to walk into a church, it's like, I mean, and there's this mindset and mentality that God could never love me. God could never accept me. God could never forgive me for all the things, bad things that I've done. 
And I think that that mindset prevails, even those that after they become a believer in Christ, it's hard for them to embrace this philosophy of, of being an intrepid Christ follower, of someone who has fortitude and a resolve, and they're daring to enter into the presence of God, because everybody knows when you step into the presence of God boldly, that it's like stepping into the light, that there's nothing hidden, everything is exposed. I mean, who would step into the throne room uh, of God and be standing at his throne and even think of being dishonest about anything? I mean, there's a holiness that's in that atmosphere, but yet there's an embrace and there's an intensity that takes place in our life, and it's this approach to the throne that seems so difficult for people to break through with. I still deal with some of those things now where I'll go through a week or a season or circumstances, and it's like, I don't know if God's even going to want to deal with that. We've been here before. We've been down this path before. And there, in my humanness, there's that kind of a sense of, of, of embarrassment, I guess you could say. It's like, I don't want to bring this back to God. I don't want to have to talk about this again. I don't want to do this conversation again. He's probably so fed up with this and frustrated with some of my weaknesses and my shortcomings. But yet there's something that rises up within me, and I'll go back. We're going to go to the scriptures here in a moment, and we're going to read together. And I thought about Esther... In the book of Esther, in chapter 4, verse 16, she said, Even if it's against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. And she was going to do something that was against the law that could cost her her very life, but yet the Jewish people, her people, and, and the king did not know that she was a Jewish woman, and she's going on behalf of her people because they're on the verge of being slaughtered and killed, and you can read it in the book of Esther, and she says, you know what, I don't care if it's against the law, I'm going to go into the presence of the king, if I must die, I must die. And there was this resolve that she had, and she knew that without having a presence with the king and going into the throne room, knowing that only he had the authority, only he had the ability, only he had the power to make a decision to not only save her, but her family and all the people of God. And she did just that, and she had such a resolve in it. It was like, you could lose your life. You could lose everything by doing this. And I think that that really is what it is. We make a decision for Christ, and, and we give our life to him, and we just lay down uh, ourselves and our own will and everything. We say, Jesus, I need you. And we take a cross, and we follow after him, as the Bible says. And in this regard, it's just like without resolve, it's like, if I'm going to have to die to my reputation, and my, my past, all of that. I want to die to that. I want to know Jesus. I want to have an encounter with him. I need his authority and his power in my life each and every day. And it was that kind of resolve that brought us all into a relationship with Jesus. It was a fortitude. It was a boldness where it's like, you know, I'm going to open my heart and my life and receive him and lay everything down because I need a Lord and a Savior. I need somebody to take control of my life because I've lost control. Somebody say amen to that. And even as a believer at times, and I would see some of these young 
men and women, and then we would come into prayer sessions. It's like I would hear this over and over again. I feel like I just have lost control of my life. I thought I had it together and everything, and you're asking me to bring my life and my garbage and my situation into the throne. It's like I'm not ready yet. I want to clean myself up first, and then I can have this intrepid spirit that you're talking about before we really enter in, and they would kind of just be on the fringes, and they would be in the back pew, and and it's like we gather up around the piano, and we would worship together, and the presence of the Lord begin to manifest itself, and it was so difficult for them at times early on in those experiences to have this intrepid approach to the throne of God, but yet it was such a key. And the times of our life when we need it the most is when we kind of take a step back and it's like, well, maybe this thing will just pass by. Maybe we'll, I'll just get over it in my own ability and everything. But it really doesn't. And it was this intrepid approach that saved the people of God from destruction. And I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews with me. We're going to look at two different chapters that talk about this intrepid approach that the Bible wants us to have, this boldness, knowing that as we develop this intrepid approach to the throne of God, it releases us in a greater ministry to the world, a greater ministry to the church, and there's an anointing that comes from being in the throne with the Lord. As Esther went in before the king, rather than being rejected and even dying, he brings her in and says, what, my queen, do you want? I'll give you half of my kingdom. And I'm sure that she must have been stunned by the response of the king. He so loved her. He so respected her. And as she came in, she, he began to grant her wishes. And there was a tremendous deliverance that took place because somebody had a resolve and said, if I must die, I must die. But she boldly came in before this king. In Hebrews chapter 4 Verse 14 through 16, familiar passages. Uh, so then, uh, since we have this great high priest who entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. In other words, let's, let's hang on tightly to what we believe. And he's dealing with a group of people. And if you know the book of Hebrews, these are former Jews who converted to Christianity. They became Christ followers. And they were being enticed to go back and, and do the sacrifices all again when Jesus being the final sacrifice that was needed, and no longer did we have to practice all those animal sacrifices again, but they could come into the presence of God because of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, and many of them were falling away. Many of them were falling back, and the Bible says that they became apostates. It's like literally they divorced God out of their life, and they went very back to the very thing that they were set free from. And the writer of Hebrews deals with this in, in such uh, an amazing way to me. He says, I, I want you to hold tightly to what you believe. This high priest, speaking of Jesus, as he understands your weaknesses, the things he faced, all the things and the testings, the temptations, the trials that you face and you face and you face, but yet he never sinned. He understands what it is to be sorely tested and tried uh, in, in one's faith. And he's saying there that he can relate to, he can sympathize. He, he's been there, but yet he knows the key and the answer to get through this. And not allowing your weaknesses or your shortcomings or even your insecurities to literally shipwreck your faith and cause you to not only step back maybe, but to even to walk away from the things that you have braced so tightly as a Christ follower. And he makes the statement so 
let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God or the throne of grace, and there we're going to receive mercy, and we're going to find grace to help it when we need it the most. And he's just saying there that this is the place you need to come. This is the place above and beyond everything else. You can get advice from people. You can look at your own self and dig deep inside to try to bring yourself through the situation, but there comes a point where you've got to come in and you've got to face the King of kings and the Lord of lords and know that this isn't just a throne of judgment and justice. It's a throne of grace. Hallelujah. And oftentimes I would see some of them, they, they, they had this picture in their mind that if I come to the throne of God, this is only a throne of judgment and justice. And they never perceived the throne of God as one of a throne of grace and mercy where the Lord's arms are open wide knowing that I know you're weak. I know you're insecure. I know that you have struggle points. And as we continue this journey in this church, we'll face battles. There'll be times when we're tired. There'll be good times when we feel weak. There's going to be times where it's like, you know, I feel like maybe my faith is, is just as small as a mustard seed, but yet I can't even move a mountain with it. And these are the times the Lord is saying, come into my presence and my throne, and I'll impart to you the grace that you need, the mercy that will sustain you in this hour and in this place. And then when we leave that place of the throne room of God, we're able to walk again with an intrepid spirit because we were intrepid in our approach of coming into God's presence. And there's that confidence knowing he's going to impart to me exactly what I need. It's a supernatural impartation. I can't explain it. I can't define it. There's not a theologian that can really describe to you what happens when you come in before the king and there's this encounter. And these were the things, the most important aspect of discipleship, of becoming an intrepid Christ follower, was learning how to have this intrepid approach into the presence of God, especially during the times when we feel like just stopping and giving up. And Hebrews 10, 16 is a similar, he writes it again. It must have been important because he's, he's writing again, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. You don't have to live by the old covenant any longer. He says, I'm going to put my laws in their hearts and I'm going to write them on their minds. This is not something on stone anymore like the Ten Commandments, but it's like the law of God, the, the word of God, it becomes a part of our heart. He imprints it on our mind. It becomes a part of our being. It's a new covenant. It's different. And then he says, I will never again remember their sins and their lawless deeds. In other words, God doesn't just forgive. He forgets. And if I could say this without sounding disrespectful or really lacking good doctrine, I would think that if the Lord has one fault, even though he's perfect, it would be this. He's forgetful when it comes to our sins. He's forgetful. Forgave that. And the enemy constantly, it says in the Bible, comes up as the accuser of the brethren. He comes before the throne of God. He has an intrepid spirit because he's constantly coming before the throne of God, wanting to accuse the brethren. It's just like, did you see what he did? What about this? What about this? And he's pointing fingers at the saints, and he's making accusations towards the church before the throne of God, it says in the Bible. And he has no reservation whatsoever to bring those. And the Lord's like, you know what? I remember forgiving him, but for the like of me, I just can't remember what it was. <laughs> just forgiving. He says, I remember them no more. Their sins and their lawless deeds. 
And when sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. Jesus doesn't have to die again. He's died once and for all. And the blood of Jesus Christ, and as we prepare our hearts for communion here in a few moments, it's as fresh today as it was 2,000 years ago. And we come before him, and it's like, I died for that. I died for that. And every time with that intrepid spirit as we come into the throne of God, the Lord is saying that my blood is as fresh today as it was then. There's forgiveness. I'll forget it. We need to start fresh here today, and there's that grace that's imparted to our life, and we just live this grace-filled life as a believer. Sanctification, I have this discussion with somebody close to me recently, and he was sharing to me, he's like, I just have such a deep resentment towards legalism, and, and I've seen it in the church, and I've experienced it, and it's almost like keeping him from even wanting to really engage himself in the church and in the ministry is a tremendous call in his life. And I'm sharing with him, look, you know, this is not about obeying a set of rules or, or a set of commandments here. This is about a relationship with Jesus and living on the foundation of his grace and, and the sanctification. The process that's taking place in your life is all relational based with Jesus. And there's so much to be said about that. And, and he says in Verse number 19, that dear brothers and sisters, he's speaking to them with intimate terms. You're, you're a part of this family. You're my brother. You're my sister. You're a part of the family. We can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And here again, the writer is saying that there's this intrepid approach that God wants you not to, to turn your back and kind of think it through and like, how, why should I go there? How do I get there? But he wants us to literally run into his presence and say, Lord, I need your grace right now. I'm at this place where I need an impartation of your mercy and grace. And we come to the throne with an intrepid approach. And by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way the curtain in the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God. Listen, with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with his blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. And he says this again. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. And now that we have this building, and, and it's more than just a building, it's really, it's a gathering place, it's a meeting place, it's a place to encounter the Lord, to spend time in His presence, it's a place of worship, it's, it's a house of worship, a house of prayer. And on Saturday night, in which I I, I want to open this up to people who on a Saturday even want to come down even just for a few minutes or an hour. I, I like to come and, and just pray, and I'm not just praying for Sunday morning, but just a place of prayer. And Saturday night's a, it's a great night for a pastor especially, and I'm walking down the aisles and praying and thinking about this message and thinking about this verse. And I feel like God speaks so clearly to me that there are many situations of my life, many difficult encounters, many obstacles, many battles that I have faced where the Lord was just saying, if you just would have brought that to me and boldly come before my throne, you would have got through it much quicker, much faster.
expecting that to be true. There's some things that will linger in our life almost endlessly. And we wonder, and it's like we're asking people to pray for us, and we're asking people to lift up our situation a lot of times. But the Lord is saying, look, only you can have this intrepid approach, and you come into the presence and, and into the throne room. And, and literally, it's all by faith as we come in, and we just pronounce that, and we embrace the things of the Lord. And God begins to minister his grace and his mercy to our lives, knowing how fragile we can be. And then there's this empowerment that takes place. And as I said it a few weeks ago in our grand opening service, that it's like, I know Jesus is who he says he is, and I know that I can believe what he says he will do because he does it, and he is faithful to his promises. Possessing an intrepid approach to God's throne, first of all, I, I want to say that something that really helps, and what he's saying in both of these chapters, four and chapter 10, is hold tightly to what you believe. Esther's resolve basically was, if I must die, then I must die. If I have to let this thing go, there's some things in our life that, that really need to die. <laughs> we really need to have closure and a conclusion to some things in our life that hold us back from our full potential of what God has for us and some things we, we have to let go. And she had this amazing resolve, and we need to hold tightly to what we believe more than ever. If you don't know what you believe in, I can say to you, you'll fall for anything, as the old adage goes. If you don't believe in something, you'll fall for anything. And we need to have those deep convictions of, and, of doctrine that we we're dogmatic where the Bible is dogmatic and be vague where the Bible is vague. I don't want to argue about the gray areas and the things in the Bible that are vague, but I'm dogmatic that Jesus came to this world and was born of a virgin, lived on this earth. He did miracles. I'm dogmatic about the fact that he died on the cross and he shed his blood for my sin and he rose again on the third day. Somebody amen. That's what I'm dogmatic about and I believe with all of my heart. And that gives me that solid foundation to know what I believe about who Jesus is. Hold tightly to what you believe. And number two is a bold entrance into God's throne room is evidence of our confidence in his authority. In other words, I know that God will fulfill his promise in my life, that his word is true. His word is yes. His word is amen. It is the end. He has the final word. He has the final answer. It's the final conclusion that, that the more I become bold in my approach to him with this intrepid approach into his throne room and into the presence of God, it reveals to me, it reveals to Dana that I have a confidence within my spirit that I know that God's going to fulfill his promises, that it's an evidence that there's authority in his word. I'm confident in that. But when I'm feeling like an Adam and Eve and I'm hiding in the bushes and I feel just kind of exposed and naked, I mean, it's that same syndrome from the garden that when sin first entered into, uh, you know, the world, into the universe in this regard, and the first thing that they did is they realized that they were naked and they felt this shame. I mean, the word shame was around long before they ever used the terminology today about people shaming each other on social media. They felt this genuine shame and they did not know what was going on. And the first thing that they want to do is, I've got to hide myself, especially from the Lord. And they're hiding. And it's that same inclination that oftentimes that we go through. And the Lord's like, bring it out into the light. Come with boldness. This is an intrepid approach to come in. And we just have a confidence in God's authority. And the number three, mercy and grace will change the outcome. 
mercy and grace. It's a throne of mercy and grace, and it will change the outcome of our situation. Grace does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. There are many things that, you know, in the process of of this building being constructed with all the opposition and all the obstacles and the giants that we faced and and um, <laughs> and the times when I'm just standing in this building for I think it was about six weeks where everything was at a dead stop here and people were coming by. It's like nothing's changing at the building. It's like I know. Don't remind me of that. <laughs> I know. I'm there every day. Believe me, I know. It's like, well, what's happening? Well, we don't have a final permit yet, and it just came to a standstill. It was so discouraging, and it was one of those moments where it's like I wanted to hide the fact that we were stopped and and everything. I didn't want people to see that because they're probably. Th- I'm thinking they probably have this concept that, that isn't the pastor's faith where it should be right now? Because why is this thing all, you know at a stop here? And all these thoughts are going through my mind, and I realize that the grace of God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. I can't save myself. I can't salvage the situation. And this is where we begin to experience the manifestations of the grace of God. And that's why the grace of God is one of the most wonderful concepts in all of the world that Jesus came. And this new covenant that he's speaking about, it's not a, a covenant based on law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but it's a covenant based on the promise of his grace that I'm going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And I'm so grateful that the foundations of the church, the foundation of my life is built on this whole concept of grace. And Paul has so much to say about this whole thought of grace. Proverbs 16, 15, it's a beautiful scripture. It says, when the king smiles, it speaks of his favor. There is life, and his favor refreshes like a spring rain. And I believe with all of my heart, that God is so pleased when rather than hide or run or be apprehensive in our faith and approaching his throne, that I think God smiles and is pleased. It's like, I've got to run. I have got to get into the presence of the Lord. And I've got to expose my heart and where I'm at. I need an impartation of his grace and his mercy so that I can continue the fight and I can continue. And if the enemy can stop up one thing in our life, it's like get, get us where we're so involved in the work of the ministry to the church, so involved in the work of the ministry on the streets that we have less and less time to spend time before the throne and our intrepid approach to the throne begins to wane. And we think, well, God will understand because I'm meeting the needs of people, and I fell into this trap years ago. And I remember before I left as a young missionary, this retired missionary that lived in Prescott where I grew up pulled me aside, and she said, Dana, I feel like the Lord has given me a word for you. How many know when somebody says, I have a word for you, you just kind of, yeah, okay. <laughs> because there's been too many of those people that it was like, I got a word for you, and it really wasn't a word from the Lord. It was probably just a word from them. And you, we just kind of cringe a little bit. And she said, I, I just feel like I need to tell you not to let your ministry become a golden calf in your life. 
And I kind of just took it, I, I filed it away in the back of my mind, and I'm like, I wasn't quite sure what it really meant. Was this the Lord? Was this not the Lord? My ministry, a golden calf, why would I want to worship the ministry? But about eight to ten months after that, and I was on the field, and I'm in one of the poorest countries in the world, the needs are just overwhelming. And I found myself very, it didn't happen overnight, but very subtly, very slowly, I was getting up, spending less and less time with the Lord, that intrepid approach that I taught so many young adults to, to do. I was just kind of like, well, the need is so great. I've got so much pressure on my schedule and everything. God will understand because I'm ministering to the people. And I found myself becoming weaker and weaker without even realizing it was a very subtle deception where I got to a point and so burned out and physically down. And, and then I got typhoid after that. I remember laying on my back. I was like, God, what happened? I gave my life for this. And I don't understand. And then that word came back to my mind. Don't let your ministry become a golden calf in your life. And I remember getting up out of my bed that day and just repenting to the Lord, saying, God, I don't want to ever do this again. I only want to care about being in your presence and with you. I don't want the ministry to take first and precedent in my life ever again. I don't care about the ministry to the world and the church as much as I care about my ministry to you. And God poured out his mercy and his grace that day on me and began to minister to me of the things that he was going to restore in my life. And I had forgotten of what it was to have this intrepid approach to his throne and to come in and to meet with him. And I wasn't functioning on his grace and mercy. I was just functioning on adrenaline. And I have to say to you that some of you, you wouldn't think this, but it's just, it was just a real false humility and a pride that people were depending on me. People were asking me to do this and asking me to do that. It fed my ego. It built my pride. And I began to realize this is not what ministry is really about. Some of the greatest men and women of God I've ever met, they have a secret prayer life that supersedes anything that they do in public ministry. And I believe that Jesus modeled this as well, that when he would withdraw himself into the wilderness and just there's multitudes of people wanting to just touch him and be prayed for. And the need was always there. There was thousands of people. But there came the moment where he would, with an intrepid approach, come into the presence of the Father and before the throne and he would just put all the public ministry on hold so that he could engage with the Father. And it was such a key to his life and a key to his ministry. For this church, for your life, for this coming year, I felt like this message was vitally important for us. Because as we begin 2018 in the church. Yes, we want to see the church grow. Yes, we want to impact this community. Yes, we want to be a church, uh, the banner church that, that's known to be a church where there's transformation and healing and, and salvation, that this house will touch people's lives all over the place. 
the most important aspect, if I could ask you to join in with me. And have an intrepid approach. And to boldly come into the presence of God on a daily basis. It will change the life of the church. It will change the atmosphere of the church. I was with my parents the day after Thanksgiving, and my mom said something that really touched me. She was exhorted by a very close friend to, to get up earlier in the morning and to put on worship music and, and to just simply, as she puts that on and earlier in the morning, and just to lift her hands and just begin to worship. My parents are some of the godliest people I know. I mean, they just were faithful and growing up. And my dad and mom were just the epitome of faithfulness. And we were always in church. My dad was just, he was faithful in every regard. And, but I think there was something amiss as they've gone through physical infirmities with my father and some of the challenges my mom emotionally feeling very insecure because for the first time in her life, she's telling me that, I feel like that I can't depend on your dad like I have. And they've been married for 60 years. And, and when I was in the hospital, my father, she told me something that really shocked me. She goes, can you come with me to the gas station and put gas on my car? She goes, I don't know how to, to put gas in the car. And I thought she was kidding when she told me that. She goes, you're, I said, you don't know how to put gas in the car? She's like, I just, your dad always did it. This is that generation. And it was just a very difficult experience. And and I thought that this advice that was given to her, and my mom said, she said, you know, we've been doing that. And they come out, and they pulled out the CD, and they go, this is what we've been listening to. They're getting a warning. They're lifting up their hands. They're worshiping. They're just had this intrepid approach now of coming into the presence of God, very simple, very basic again, and being restored back in that intimate relationship with the Lord. And my mom said this. She goes, it's changed the atmosphere of my house. She goes, it's changed the atmosphere in our home. And in my spirit, just leap for joy as she has rediscovered her first love, as she is rediscovering the key to ministry is not all the things that you're doing and all the things you're engaged in, but it's that ministry to the Lord that he created us for. And we have that intrepid spirit where we boldly come in, no matter what we're going through and feeling, will the roof cave in? No, the roof's not going to cave in. I mean, if you didn't know, these steel beams will carry a second floor. That's the next phase. It's not going to cave in, I promise. And I want to encourage you in this coming year to be an intrepid Christ follower that has a sense of boldness, like a Queen Esther. If I must die, I must die. If I have to give up this, I'll give up that. Whatever it takes, but I'm not going to let anything prevent me from coming in before the throne of God and presenting my requests to him and laying hold of the, of the throne of grace and the throne of mercy. Amen. Would you bow your hearts and that's with me this morning. I'd like to ask our ushers to come as well and to prepare the Lord's table this morning. We're going to just partake in communion. Let's just pray together just for a moment. And ushers, if you'll just wait for a moment until I uh, release you um, with the elements. If you're here today 
as we just bow before the Lord in consecration to him. And maybe you're here this morning and it's like, wow, this has been just a roller coaster ride this past year. It's just been kind of an up and down. And, and maybe you're saying, I want to have that intrepid spirit within my very soul so that I can approach the presence and, of God with such a confidence. And maybe you're here today as well and you don't know him. I would just ask that as you bow your hearts and your heads before the Lord and you say, Dana, I, I want this Thanksgiving weekend in 2017 to be pivotal for my life. I want it to be transformational for my life. We have so much to be thankful for, but I am so thankful that Jesus died for me and, and that he's given us access to his presence. It's the most amazing thing in the world. And if you're here and you want to receive Christ and, and make him the Lord and of your life, I want you just to slip up your hand. I know he's going to embarrass you, but if you're here today, I want to give opportunity for anybody that might be in a position that's like, I, I want to receive him as Savior and Lord today. Yeah. And maybe you're here as well. Yeah. Amen. Anybody else that would just raise your hand boldly and just say, I, I want to have an intrepid spirit. Lord God, yes, yes, amen. I, I want you to pray this prayer with me along with those who have raised their hand. Because this is really what we're here for, is to make life-altering, changing decisions for Jesus. Hallelujah so that we can be part of this family and have access to his throne. Let's pray this prayer together. Just follow me in this prayer as we join in with those who have slipped up their hand boldly today. Dear Jesus, I bring my life before you. I need your grace and mercy. I ask you to forgive me where I have sinned against you. Forgive me of all my failures. Jesus, I believe that you die on the cross for my sin. And I receive you as my Savior. I make you the Lord of my life. Lord, make me an intrepid Christ follower. Yes. Yes. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we just welcome those who prayed that prayer this morning? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We just thank you, Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, something shifted. It's called being born again where your spirit was made alive. And the Bible says that your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Something happens. It's a supernatural. It's grace. It's mercy. Amen? Amen. If you made that decision for Christ, please come see one of the, myself or Josh, one of our leaders, and just say, you know what? I want to be a Christ follower. What's my next step? 
And don't hesitate to come and ask us. We'd like to talk to you and just talk about the next step that, that comes after this because it's the most exciting journey that you could possibly imagine in life. It's an incredible journey. Amen. Amen. Joshua, you go ahead and pass out the table. And if you've prayed that prayer, you can engage with us now that we're giving thanks and we're celebrating what Jesus did on the cross for us. And the Lord gave us this commandment that as we drink the cup and eat the bread this morning, that we're remembering what he did for us, that he died for us, and his body was broken, he shed his blood, and this is a celebration of giving thanks on this Thanksgiving weekend as we drink the cup and eat the bread. We're just saying, Lord, we're celebrating this new covenant that you have proposed to us. We're living by something brand new. It's a covenant of grace. 